When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Matt Bernier of The National, and this is the LSQ Podcast. Hey, it's Jenny LSQ. Welcome to episode 52 of LSQ. And yes, you may know Matt Berninger best as the frontman of The National, but in this conversation, we talk about his individual creative journey and his gorgeous debut solo album, Serpentine Prison. Let's get into it. So I didn't actually have any intention to do a solo album. What what I wanted to do and what I started doing was just was doing making a covers record with Booker T. Jones and um and I I wanted to you know cover a bunch of songs and make a covers collection for for a long time. I love there's so many people have I mean I love Cat Powers her her covers records and and um yeah and Stardust by Willie Nelson is one of my favorite records and Booker produced and arranged that and. Anyway, so I reached out to him because I'd met him about 12, 12 years ago, um, and I was, you know, he, he was, I was lucky and, and just cosmically blessed that that he remembered me and said yes, and and uh, and so we started this sort of pro- process of making a covers album, and and along the way I gave him a couple, the two I mentioned, Love So Little and Distant Axis, and he really liked those, and then he's like, what else is there? And then I had a few others that were half baked and. Pretty soon, I had shared, you know, I, I was, I shared, you know, but, but, but 12 or so originals with him, with demos, um, just like really rough stuff. And he thought we should, we should focus on those, um, you know, not, not put aside the covers album idea, but to, but to do both. And so by the time we got into the studio last summer, you know, we, I had about 12 pretty finished songs originals and we did seven or you know or, I, I don't know six or seven covers and yeah and, and then and then you know towards the end of that process I didn't want to put out a giant record although now I've released it all as the deluxe so I guess I did put out a giant record but I wanted a record that was the same length kind of right in the same length as Stardust which is 10 songs yeah and so we just put the we put 10 of the originals together to make the record that's that's how that's how it all happened did it just sort of, did you just get swept up in it or was there a moment when you paused to, to you know, kind of strategize or it's a, it's a pretty big moment, you know, obviously as an artist to have been making music and at the level that you have for this long now to have to just be like, you know what? Yeah, I'm doing it. I was, I, I think making like Christmas of 2018 was when I first dis- reached out to Booker about making a covers album. And I do think I wanted to make a covers album by myself, outside of my other bands, um, you know, and, and obviously, I, you know, I can't, I can't do anything by myself. But so I just brought in, I, I intended to bring in all my fa- like some my favorite people to help me make this covers album, um, including Booker. And there was, I did want to do that because I, I needed, I needed my own project. I wanted a respite from all the, you know, we were, we were working on 
uh, Sleep Well Beast, and then and that rolled right into I'm Easy to Find really quickly and touring and touring and touring. But then also, Corinne and I, my wife and I, have been writing all these songs for with with Aaron and Bryce for Cyrano de Berger. I, this, so this big Cyrano started out as like a small play with a few songs, and then it's bloomed into a bigger play with a bunch of songs and now it's turning into like I think it's turning into a movie with like we wrote 26 songs or something for it so that that project Cyrano started five years ago you know while we were still doing stuff with Sleep Well Beast and then I Am Easy to Find so there are these those were like giant big giant records that I that I I think I wanted you know about a year and a half ago like I said I, I I was I was ready to sort of I wanted something that was in a drawer that no one else, you know, could get into, and and so I wrote all the lyrics by myself. And you know, I've been writing with 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 Corinne for all those other projects, and this was nice to just like be writing songs, you know, for myself. And 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 and, and thinking of all these covers, there was just it was going to be my own little record. Um, yeah, but it's shifting from from covers to originals. What was a kind of happened in the process? And in and, and once I got done, you know, I was like, well. I wasn't a little nervous about it. I mean, I was going to call it Matt Berninger's apostrophe S, you know, Serpentine Prison. So it's, it was going to be like, a, you know, you know, Rolling Stones Rock and Roll Circus or who's, who, I can't remember who's, was it the Who's Rock and Roll Circus or the Rolling Stones? Anyway, <laughs> or it was like, you know, a Matt Berninger and Friends type of thing. But Scott was like, just, just call it Matt Berninger. You know, he's like, drop the apostrophe S. And, and, and so that was like, yeah, there was a moment where I was like, oh, this is a solo album. But the minute I realized that it was a solo album, I got really excited about that, and I'm really happy that it is. Was there ever a point in, in you know, earlier in life when, you know, you began to explore making music that you saw yourself as, as potentially being a, a solo artist? No, I mean, I mean, no. I mean, and, and, and the, the, the funny thing is, is because, I, I mean, I have a guitar finally, um, which I still haven't really learned how to play yet, and... um and you know, I, I don't really, pl- I can't play the piano. Um, I mean, I can peck around on stuff, and I do write, use those things to, to write melodies sometimes. But I don't, not really. So, so the idea of making a solo album was was never, ever, ever um, like on my mental, you know, to do list. It was it just wasn't just because it didn't. It was kind of like, you know, it, it, like do you ever plan to like you know fly around the world in a, in a single prop plane, you know, or something like that? And I'm like, well, no, because I can't fly planes, you know, or um, and then all of a sudden I realized like, well, I can just, all these other people will help me make this. So, so it's, you know, I had 20 people help me make a solo route record, you know, which is, I could not have made gone solo without, 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 you know, 25 other geniuses, you know. When did you first start to find that, uh, that music or melodies were, were occurring to you? For this new stuff? No, just ever in your life. My first band, Nancy, like I met Mike Brewer um, and Scott Devendorf and Casey Reese um, when I went to University of Cincinnati, and and and, and we were in school together for fi- design school for five years there, and it was right towards the end of that where Mike Brewer was like, "Let's start a band," and and I was like, "Well, can I be in it?" You know, and and um, we were and, I, and like they let me name it after my mom, and it's just because I was the most I think I was just the most outgoing. I was always like sort of like whatever ringleader of of all kinds of stuff, and so 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 I started singing and writing lyrics um, in that band in in a band called Nancy, and and that was that was the first time I was like oh and I could be in a band, and 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 the reason why I think 
I had the confidence to be in that band is because all of us, you know, Mike Brewer and Scott and Casey and I, we were all, you know, Casey was more into craft work and, and John Cage. Um, but, the, but the rest of us were super into like pavement and guided by voices and silver Jews and stuff like that. And just, just archers of loaf. And, and like, there's all these like, you know, Cincinnati bands like Brainiac and, and, and breeders and, and, and Afghan wigs and, and, you know, we're all, we're all close by and, and being in the, in, you know, date near Dayton and Cincinnati back then in the mid nineties, um, mid to early nineties was like really, really, really fertile. And, and I think we all just like, we can do this. And so, but yeah, that's when I first started writing and singing and, and, and kind of realizing like this could maybe I could do this. And then, but that, that band, when we all graduated, it, that band sort of dissolved. And it was, it wasn't until about three or four years later after kind of setting up and being in New York that the national kind of, kind of got together and started forming. But yeah, so the national never existed at all in Cincinnati, you know, um, the, the, the national's first gig in Cincinnati, I think, you know, was, was years after we, we started and, and no one came, you know, um, the Nationals never been a Cincinnati band or anything like that, but 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 Nancy was my first band, and it was kind of started in that sort of college design art school scene in Cincinnati. Right. So before that, you 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 didn't find like as a as a teenager or, or whatever that when you enjoyed music that you also generated ideas for music. No, I didn't write a lyric. I didn't write a like a lyric or anything that would approximate a poem you know, until college, until, and not only, not just like, I also went to seven years of college. I went to two years at Miami University of Ohio, um, where I would go see music all the time in the great radio station, 97X was right out of Oxford, Ohio, W-O-X-Y. And I was, you know, in, in seeing bands in Cincinnati. So I was absorbing, I was in the music scene. I was going to every show in Cincinnati, but it wasn't until, those guys, Mike and Scott and Casey and I got together. I don't even remember where we first started, where we even first, what room we were in when we first started, you know, with a four track. But when those guys gave me some four track stuff where we were in a room together and they were playing guitars and stuff, I just gave it a shot, started singing, you know. And and I sing, I wrote and sing about, I think, half the songs on that record. And Mike Brewer wrote and sang most of the other ones. And, um, but yeah, but before that, no, no, I like being a writer or being a, somebody who writes you know i i had written i'd written notes and uh, to girls i i you know i i'd written valentines i'd written you know i'd written notes to myself and buried them under trees and stuff like that you know i like i was a i was a yeah i did i did i totally did and you know what kind of a no- wait what would the what kind of a note to yourself this is so weird i do remember um there's a there's a park on the west side of cincinnati called mitchell park and 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 uh, we would always go hiking, you know, just just walks in the woods there, and there are creeks and ponds. It was just a, you know, one of those like outskirts outskirts of town, just uh, you know, protected parks and in um, municipal park. And and I would go, we would we would always go there, and just I I would I would do that all the time, just go hiking in the woods, and and um, you know, and I was I was romantically obsessed with like you know girls and everything and and i would often there, i do remember writing a love letter to a girl not giving it to her but burying it under a tree you know <laughs> or it, I, I think it was more of a love letter to myself about like or something you know and um my dad would do that kind of stuff i mean my dad my dad is always writing 
um, you know, poems and, and, and little things for my mom. And, and my dad's always out in the woods, like sketching lichen, you know, and, 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 and drawing, you know, doing, 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 um, you know, pencil sketches of, of moss and trees and, and, and creeks and stuff. My dad's a, you know, my parents are artsy fartsy. I mean, he's a lawyer, but you know, if he could, if, if he had chosen, um, what to do without having to, you know, put his kids through school, he would have been a, wandering sort of you know woodsy whatever you know john muir type yeah. of guy you know yeah so were you but did, did you find that you were drawn to to music early what were your what were the things you were obsessed with first like as a little kid well as a little kid my parents you know there weren't that many records but i but i do i i've, I've talked there's they had about 20 and like i mean stardust came out in 78 and so I guess I keep trying to figure out like, when did my parents go to a record store? And it must have been, you know, in 1978, I feel like they went and bought 20 records, right? Like the records I remember, there was like, like Old Whalen, which is a Whalen Jennings record that has like Willie on it. There's Killing Me Softly by Roberta Flack. There's um, Stardust. There's uh, a Judy Collins album with that's kind of her, one of her most famous, the best of me. I don't, and, and, Part of me thinks they all came out. My parents went to some record store and bought all those the same day. And for the next decade, those were the only records we had, you know? And so those records I mentioned, there's a Barry Manilow record in there. Um, and I just, they were always on. And, um, you know, my mom would put on Barry Manilow or, or the Grease soundtrack to, uh, to, to get my sister and I to help her, like, scrub the kitchen floors or clean up, you know? And... And, you know, so, so it was, that was sort of just like the textural, sonic textural environment that was always on as a, as a, as a kid. But then I don't, I, I think there was a long phase where I didn't really pay much attention to music because all my friends were listening to, you know, Rush and, and ACDC and Van Halen and, and, and I, um, I don't know. I feel like there was like a four or five year period until my sister brought home the Smiths and U2 and, you know that kind of stuff um in in violent femmes and um here's a really funny story here's a funny story that i've only told one other person and it's and it's this is in the 80s and it was 86 and my 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 family and all my cousins the same cousins that, I, that had this farm and i always like hang out with all these cousins we went to to a sanibel island florida in the summer of 86 like the spring right when right when summer break came and um there was a guy named Adam Schoenfeld, um, who 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 was from from Brooklyn, who uh, was kind of flirting with my sister, my older sister Rachel, and he made he gave her a mixtape, and he and it was called "License to Ill," and it was this little just mixtape of this Brooklyn hip hop band, and and so I remember, and she and, and we listened to that 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 little you know Maxell cassette tape over and over that summer and license ill didn't come out till that fall so i was listening to the beastie boys license to ill like for for four months or so before it even came out because some guy had a crush on my sister so i think i found i found like so much awesome music through my sister that way you know and and actually the desners say the same thing um their older sister jess you know dated a guy named sven from a band called lizard 99 um that was a big band in cincinnati and and he taught those guys how to play Minutemen songs and, you know, but then they're also learning like, you know, Dave Matthews songs and everything. And so it was, yeah, everybody has these weird sort of like 
uh, you know, things that, that informed their early collections. But um, how did I wonder how did Adam how did Adam Schoenfeld have license to ill before? I think he came? must have known that. He, I mean, he was he was from Brooklyn, and and I don't know. He was friends. With, he went on to become. I had to look this up because I had to my I had to ask my sister what that guy. I remember his name was his name was Adam. And she's like, oh, yeah, he went on to be like a professional poker player and made a lot of money and like won a big poker tournament. And um, so he's out there. You can find him. And like, I don't know if he remembers giving some blonde girl a cassette tape of License to Ill on a beach in Florida in in the summer of 86. But he did, you know, and I listened to it. I listened to it all. You know, and then it came out and changed the world, you know, or it's just and I'll say this honestly, it was like I didn't listen to hip hop until then. You know, it took the Beastie Boys, you know, for me to sort of like wait, you know, and that's I mean, just shows you like and then I got into the, the you know, Public Enemy and Run DMC and started to to to, to understand, you know, that was my introduction introduction to hip hop and the Beastie Boys were you know, a, like a lot of people's introduction to hip hop um, outside of New York and stuff and outside of like music the, the music world you know morons like me you know finally learned about hip-hop from from those dudes and and you were like what 10 years old or something at 86 i was four, fifteen. Fifteen. okay well whatever point being uh bc boys were my introduction to hip-hop as well and i grew up in new york but you know they played you know fight for your right to party on the radio and that was how i heard it and i still remember yeah, being a kid and hearing that song and thinking like how is this like, how is this song that's so messed up so good? And like, why is it on the radio? Well, and it's so. I mean, and and license. I, I've been. I listened to License Ill a bunch recently. And then, and there's you know, like anything. There, there's there are problematic songs on there. There are songs that I'm sure they would never play again, like Brass Monkey. Yeah. You know, um, you can't. You really can't. Like Brass Monkey is not a cool song to play anymore. And and there, I mean. You know songs like "Girls, Girls, Girls." There's all that stuff, but but there was there was genuine uh, like so much progressive thinking inside of all their sort of bad boy antics, you know. And very there there's something very positive, like party positive, and and, and weirdly, and, and and yes, there's a lot of toxic masculinity in hip hop and in, in early Beastie Boys and and you know and all rock and roll, you know, indie rock from two years ago. <laughs> I just I guess like it is funny you forget. Someone gives you a mixtape or some little thing somewhere, and you, and you check it out and you get into it, and, and you don't realize that that thing is gonna is gonna affect you for not for the rest of your life, and you're gonna keep going back to it. Like sometimes you never know, you never know. I mean, then again, at the same time, there's a million albums where I've listened to for two weeks and thought it was the you know masterpiece, and then I just I've never listened to it again, and I and I've tried and I'm like oh nope that wasn't that wasn't as good as I remembered, you know that 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 month when I was in college. But other records, other records just like are evergreen, you know? And so, I mean, like I, I talk about, you know, the queen is dead a lot. And so I think I was like, I think I discovered the queen is dead and licensed to ill, you know, at like the same time, right on the same time. And, 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 you know, also at the same time, I was still kind of listening to some Van Halen and, you know, with all my friends and stuff. So yeah, it's, it's funny that the, the, the ingredients that make up your, uh, musical sort of instincts or your musical tastes you know yeah i mean i wonder i've never heard your first band nancy but did you did you sing then the way you sing now like what what was um i i sang (laughs) i mean i sang it was it was so it was it was kind of just like a jackassy sort of like it was definitely a guided by voice it was the closest thing would be pavement or guided by voices and 
there's a song on there called like Florida Girls and their Breathing Test and and there's they're they're all just kind of you know and and they're it's it's they're they're good but they're but they're but they're sophomoric you know right but i just mean i guess even just like your 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 you have a very distinctive style of singing like did it take you a while to kind of find your register and your Kate. Yeah, I think in that band I was mostly I don't I didn't croon at all. I think I, I you know I went from like in that band I was like barking and 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 you know honking you know a lot of barking and honking, <laughs> and then I moved from barking and honking to like muttering and mumbling you know in, in the national and then I think I've and then I've got went back to some you know went from mumbling to mumble barking then to screaming and now I'm somewhere in like I'm, I'm i'm in a crooning zone or something i don't know um i have tried i have tried to um to do i've tried to cover hip-hop songs i like i've tried to i've tried to um you know and like there, there are songs that i do that i'm like, like i'm like I, I was talking to um to sam from future islands and he, who's he really started out more in hip-hop and like getting into like crooning and being in an indie rock band was like was his sort of sidestep out of hip-hop and i I often like wonder how how often he's like when he's sing, you know singing in Future Islands does he want to slip into you know a, a you know more speedy you know wordy flow like he does with Hemlock Ernst and, and like uh, I don't know if he didn't even I don't know if he even answered that <laughs> because it's it's like one of those questions is like you know it's you just kind of swim in the water you're in but yeah but but when we were in the studio with Booker making all these records we we tried to do sabotage we like for for about an, for about half an hour we, we all like I can't remember who all was in the room at that point but the four or five of us who were there early that morning were like let's try to do it was my idea we're like let's let's just why not let's try to do sabotage and it was you know it was kind of like it was it was trying to lift up like lift a plane off the ground with with you know with 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 donkeys so we just couldn't do it you know it was like how do you like, like we can't we could not get that one to take off I and mean, it's like some songs are just uncoverable you know has anybody covered sabotage they must have i don't know about like a recorded cover i've seen i've seen people i've seen people do it you know at festivals and, and stuff like that but oh you have yeah i've never seen it i mean i just don't know how like how could you pull it off i guess he could it's just a rock song really but it's just so you know it's hard to explain it's like it's like it's like you can't do some songs um maybe it's maybe it's maybe just we couldn't do it. but anyway but it's but even like the cures in between days in the studio with booker like we only got it halfway there and and um we we ran out of time but but later i went back in and re-sang it and and had julia laws sing on it so some of the songs you know some of the covers we did died in the room and some some were only sort of half baked when we finished um but then we then holes is the one we like okay let's we finished because booker was in love with it and so i went back and sang it and we just released that i'm sorry sorry um in between days um by the cure but we just released that for a thing on Bandcamp. but uh and then mercury rev covered holes we did that in the whole on, in these sessions and that came out for something else but yeah covering songs is a, it was it was really helpful for me to le- just learn help to learn song structures and all the different ways of you know melody and stuff like that and anytime i've i've covered something i've i've take i've i've taken a lot a lot out of that the experience even a failure you know um when you when you like we covered the national covered desolation row once um by dylan and it was a pretty pretty massive failure 
but it was like good to good to do it you know yeah somebody wanted to release it i think it was like uncut magazine wanted to put it on their like you know their cover mounted cd thing and uh roger trust um from 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 beggar's banquet from our, our label back then uh said i don't know guys i think maybe you guys just keep this one for yourself <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and he was right. He was right. You know, sometimes it's just just because you do a cover doesn't mean you should. You know? How how has your approach to lyric writing or your kind of process of lyric writing evolved since since you first started? Well, I I, I described it recently, and I was like, oh, that's a good way to describe it. So I'll do it again. But uh, lyric writing used to be. I used to, like, like climbing, you know, like free climbing, like a, a rock face, you know, where like every word was like, okay, you just pick, find like, you know, every line or every, every, every verse was like trying to get up two more feet up that rock face until you can get to finish this song. And, and it was always scary to humiliate yourself with a stupid lyric or a, an embarrassing thing. And I was always, but I, you know, but I also, but the music I liked did those things, you know, uh, the, the Tom Waits and Leonard Cohen and Nick Cave and Nina Simone and Cat Power and, and, you know, people put the raw weird stuff. If you don't put the raw, you know, Liz Fair, I remember being obsessed with, with Exile and Guyville because of all the bravery in her writing and stuff. So when you go, when you go at it and, 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 and want to go into that direction and, and compete with those artists, it's easy to to sound like a total idiot when you dig in deep into into things that maybe I don't know. And and so I was nervous. I was nervous. And and so it took me a while to dig deep. It took me a while to learn how to like not be nervous that you that you can't fall off this rock face. And you know, and then I said I said over the years I learned to to not climb up from the bottom, just like just go look around, just go just go look around for cliffs to jump off. And they're everywhere. You know, and because it's because it's rock and roll, it's music. It's like all oh, you you jump off, and you and you're like if you jump off of the high cliff in 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 art, you're gonna fly. You know, um, whether you're a painter or anything, you'll fly. You know, you might you might fly into the ocean or into it into the trees, and it may not be the best thing, but that's the only way to make art is to is to just let go. You know, let go and just and just just. Let it all just fly out of your of your brain, and and then you craft it later. You know, you you craft it into a good song. Like, but the writing, the art part of just like getting the words collected. You don't have to have they don't have to be in the right order. You know, ninety percent of them you can get rid of, and you can just cherry pick it for your favorite stuff, and then craft it into a song later. But if you're gonna if you're gonna write, you just gotta you gotta start writing, and you know you just have to start do it. It's, it's like it's like getting if you want to learn how to swim, you have to jump in 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 water. You have to dive. You have to jump into a, a pond somewhere or a swimming pool, and uh, and it's always terrifying. It's always terrifying. And then after a while, you're like, oh, look, you know, I can I can breathe underwater, you know. At how far into making albums with the National did you start to feel like some confidence develop in 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 the process where you're like you had where you had begun to figure that out and and let yourself flow a bit more? Well, there were different in a different stages of confidence. I just like the first time we made something that sounded like a song at all. Like that, I'd say that with any band. Like the first time you get a bunch of people together and you're like, oh, that sounds kind of like a good song I haven't heard before. That's a huge leap, and then the first time you get on stage at like Mercury Lounge, that's a massive leap. Um, 
but as a, as a writer, I, I feel like around Cherry Tree, you know, About Today was a big song. I feel like, I feel like About Today was like, oh, I, that's a different thing I did there, you know? And then... And then Boxer, you know, Boxer was a big, a, a, a big moment because we were, you know, Al, I mean, Alligator was, was, was big. That was because it was a real record on a real label. And then we were like, oh my God, we're actually a band. And, you know, and, and we were suddenly kind of being mentioned in the same articles as Interpol and all these bands that we were like way behind. The record after Boxer was, was, was when I think our band sort of wrestled control over our trajectory and not necessarily from anyone else like the label the label did put a little pressure on us to like have a have a screaming rock song on boxer and i just i remember really resisting that um i i was really into sort of like the boatman's call by nick cave and stuff and i'm like there's no i mean i don't know they're probably i can't remember but it's like i didn't need boxer didn't need an available or or like or an able you know the things that were on um alligator that i guess got the most attention i'm like well if we just get attention for those, then we're just all going to have to, then we're, I'm going to have to write screamy songs for the rest of my life. You know, I just like, if I don't, if, I, if we can't get attention on these like more mellow songs, we're not going to last very long. And so boxer was, boxer was where I think I felt like I became a, a you know, a writer, writer, you know, a much better writer. And then singing just slowly. And then and being a performer on stage, you know, much later too, just only in the past five years have I felt, something something approximating comfortable <laughs> you seem quite comfortable <laughs> yeah i mean I, I i am comfortable on stage now i love i do i mean it's it's scary it's it is it is it is you know like skydiving but i i know how to land now you know and i also and i know i'm not gonna die you know um right. you know i get hurt all the time you know but i mean like i can't you really, it's almost, I've humiliated myself so many times on stage in that nobody seems to notice or care. And I'm just like, oh, wow. You know, I mean, I've like, I've, I've, I've fallen apart. I've like broken into like open sobbing on stage before, you know, and all I get, all you do is just turn your back for, for five minutes and pull it together and then turn around and go on to the next song. You know, nobody can tell, you know, it's like, it's, it's, and nobody wants you to like, like people go see live stuff because they want to see something that that could turn into a disaster any any second you know it's like Leonard Cohen always talks about like the, the possibility for 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 humiliation and failure and disaster every time you step on stage is 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 immense you know it, it's everywhere and and that's the thrill it's kind of like but but not real disaster only only just like artistic disaster momentary momentary, momentary. And, and artistic disaster is sort of the definition of art right it's like like the first time jackson pollock you know did one of those things that you probably thought what a disaster and then he's like wait there's something here you know anyway i mean anytime an artist does something that they're like oh i'm afraid i'm, I'm gonna get in trouble for this piece of art or this performance is gonna like i'm gonna get a shitty review i did something bad you know, I I, 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 I stepped too far over a line, whatever that is, every time that's, that's, that's the, that's the work that matters. I mean, that's almost always the, the most important work, the stuff you're most afraid of. So, um, yeah, so I learned that I learned like the, even the worst stage situation is always, always ends up making you a better artist and, and you, you learn so much from that, you know, um, failure, I, I said it's failure, failure, lots of failure is like the fertilizer for success you know it's like 
or the fertilizer for 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 ideas for for for, for new new directions you know you, you gotta you gotta walk into walls and, and 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 crash into trees to find a more interesting path you know yeah and i mean i guess also in another in another respect um you know disasters are fodder for ideas uh in in a lyrical sense i mean i, I want to pivot into talking a bit about when you are writing lyrics nowadays and specifically for this album because you were returning to doing it on your own and and not collaborating with Corinne as you had been like where where do you go what is there a certain kind of ambiance that you need to have to be sort of effective at at writing lyrics and also just how do you connect with sort of previous emotional disasters to find you know <laughs> to find these songs that you write that are so devastating and <laughs> if one didn't know better they'd be like this guy must have a miserable life <laughs> that's so funny that's the first time i've been asked how do i connect the previous emotional disasters um yeah i mean aren't we always i mean are we always constantly connected to all of our you know previous and future emotional disasters you know it's like um i think sometimes people are are writing like warnings to themselves about about future um mistakes you know and um yeah i mean i mean but when i'm writing i don't know when i'm writing i'm just i'm just writing you know and and um i i have uh, people a lot of people have have Serpent in prison. A lot of people ask me it's like this record sounds like a cry for help <laughs> i'm like oh yeah that makes sense I'm like, oh yeah, I guess I guess that is, <laughs> but I mean, it's it's a um, and, and and Corinne, by the way, is like, you know, was list, was hearing all my words and sketches and demos from the beginning, and you know, and and so so I did I did I did have like a a, a, a an editor or support, but she wasn't really she was so um, she was so involved in, in in I'm easy to find and all the Cyrano stuff, um, and frankly, she didn't have any time to help me with this, and and but. Um, but yeah, it's like I, I I do always you know um, dig into all my my biggest anxieties, but they're not always <clears throat> but they're always they're not always uh, um, autobiographical. Like there's a song called "Odiri," which is um, you know has 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 some brutal lines about uh, depression, and um, I uh, I do suffer from sort of low grade you know waves of ups and downs, which is I think pretty average. Um, and I don't suffer from like I'm not on antidepressants, and I've I've never felt the need, and um, which is I feel really lucky. But I know a lot of people who 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 are and do need that. And what I, I you know talking to them, what it's like inside that that level of depression, where like you're like zero serotonin, and where you can't you don't have the mental ambition to to stand up. You know you can't muster, you know a phone call you can't answer a phone call you can't turn on the television you just you know i i know i know because i've been in that i've been in those moments you know for like five minutes i've been there but i know people that, that are, get stuck in those moments for months and that's you know you have to take care of yourself and so i think odiri um is a lot about just empathy for that level of sorrow and um but is but like again like the people like it, so yeah this record is a cry for help but it's just like more of a general not 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 specifically for me you know um, I mean there's a lot of it I, I I do a lot of the record is is so much of it is about being exhausted or disconnected 
um, or feeling isolated or wanting to feel isolated, you know? Um, yeah, totally. That's all real, real, very genuine. I, I, I do want to slow down. I do, I do, I am exhausted. I am, you know, the anxiety level of the past 15, 20 years, you know, since for me, it started when, when, uh, George W. Bush won, you know, I just like, wait, what, you know, how, and then, and then 9-11 and then, you know, and, and then, and then just all the, the, the tragedies, atrocities, and, and then, and then, and, and, Yes, and then and yeah, Trump, and then the pandemic. It's a series, you know. It's a series of traumas, and I think, you know, the, the generation. But my, my, I talked to my dad about it, and he's like, he's like, you yeah, know, yeah, these are really, these are these are trying times. These are dark times. He said, but we've been here before, you know, in different versions. You know, where where we are now is is very 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 grim, and very. But I also think we're on the on on the the cusp of 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 a of a of a better. America, yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, in a, in a, in a more true and honest um, version of ourselves, um, we have to, we have to be. So I'm, I'm always optimistic. Um, in this record, like in, in in all these records, like I, I've been listening to so many records during this time that were written, you know, 50 years ago, and just j- records that are just like honest about the emotional weight or or of the of the world on who, whether it's. Neil Young or Nick Cave or Nina Simone, right? Um, when they honestly express, like, here's my feeling about this party. Here's my feeling about this country. Here's my feeling about, you know, in, in, a, in personal ways, it, 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 it's resonant at all times. You know, it's, it's always resonant. Um, and so this record I wrote way before pandemic, or it was done before the pandemic, but, but, um, I, I I can it feel it, it's it's comforting to me now you know and just like Neil Young's Harvest is super comforting to me during this you know and Stardust is comforting to me during all this Ghosting is comforting to me during all this um, you know and none of those records were 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 written with any of this in mind right talk to me a little bit specifically about one more second because a i mean i i love that song so very much b i have a couple of friends who are immediately post breakup and have been listening to nothing but one more second by matt berninger <laughs> <laughs> but yeah tell me a little bit about that song and kind of how it developed um yeah it's a desperate i mean i i did um well i wrote that with matt Sheehy, who's who's also goes by Lost Lander and um, and he's an Elvi and and the minute like he sent me just there was just something instantly infectious about the guitar sketch he sent me and then and I so I think I wrote it pretty quick um, or at least you know that chorus I think I wrote really quick and that chorus became sort of the you know the hook or something and um, but I did want. I was, I, I intended, and, and, and even talking with Booker, is like, I want this one to be, to be big, to be, to be a classic love song, you know? And so we talked about songs like Nothing Compares to You, or uh, Hopelessly Devoted to You, or something, or like even Betty, the reason I covered Betty Swan's um, uh, Then You Can Tell Me Goodbye. Um, it, 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 it's a very similar song to Then You Can Tell Me Goodbye. It's like, like sure, you can t- say goodbye after a million years. You know, just wait a million years and then you can leave. You know, like, no problem. <laughs> of course, you can go whenever you want after a million years. And so 
and so that's kind of it was is a version of that but also you know um i was thinking um i will always love you dolly parton's you know song where she she wrote it when she was she was leaving porter wagner's tv show right and um and i and and so she literally it's a, it's it's and there's a spoken word thing in the middle of it it's like like it's literally a dear john letter um to porter wagner in song and it became the biggest song you know one of the biggest songs of all time and um and i i just thought it's funny well what would if porter wagner you know could could write a pop song in response trying to hold on to dolly you know uh it it might be something like one more second you know so and it was just fun to make you know brent playing piano and then and sliding over and, and then booker picking up the, the with ham and organ after brent's you know stuttering piano it's just like magical things happened uh, every song there was always magical moments that were unwritten they were just like happened you know instinctually and and that one's got a bunch of them that one's got a bunch of them and it's got gail on it i think it's got andrew bird all over it it's just got everybody it's got uh, yeah yeah that, i mean it was a fun one yeah um i'm 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 reminded too of not it's a different tempo song but of uh of dylan's most of the time Mm-hmm. oh my god yeah i i was listening to mosto over and over um yeah yeah is that on no mercy it it's yeah oh mercy yeah, exactly yeah, I, I I was talking about that, and, and I can't remember who it was. It was uh, Josh Kaufman. He's like, "Oh yeah, Mosto," and then like real real Dylan fans, you know, like when you when you talk to super Dylan fans, there's always a short version of of every song title, you know. Um, <laughs> so- I'm like, what song are you talking about? And I'm like, "Oh, most of the time." But um, yeah, no, that's um, what Dylan's got. Dylan's got twenty of those songs. Dylan's got you know, whatever, like visions of Johanna and. You know, and, 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 and Sarah. Yeah, but I mean, I'm talking about like, I'm talking about the thing where it's like also just the, the song, there's the conceit of the song, you know, the conceit of the song yeah. is cool. is like interesting where you're like, oh, you know, oh, that's what the time, you know what I mean? Like, uh, it's like, this is, I feel all these ways most of the time. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> totally. And then, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh God. You know, that's like when, when he came up with that, he's like, oh shit. If, 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 if I keep coming back to the words most of the time. I can do anything else around that, you know, and it just lands. He just found a perfect landing phrase for any random thought, you know. Um, it's like say, calling calling something or maybe not, you know. You know, it's like you, no matter what you say and then you end it with or maybe not. It's just like, oh, I love that song. You know, it's good. It's- oh, yeah. And it just gets more brutal with each verse, you know, when he gets yeah. to I don't even notice that she's gone. You're just like, oh, God, Bob. Kill me now. He he Dylan Dylan writes about longing and and and, and resentment and pain. I remember I, there's he's got a line that says I can't even touch the books she read, you know? And I can't remember what that's off of. Um on the idiot wind, on idiot wind, yeah. yeah. It's a wonder that you even. It's a wonder that you still know how to breathe. It's a oh god, yeah. He's so angry, but you know, I bet I bet he had it coming, you know, <laughs> right? Um, but then also Dylan also is, can be really direct, like in Sarah, you know, he's, it, it's, it's, that's a direct song, you know, it's, it's a very direct song um, about the, the mother of his children and everything. And, and, um, yeah, he's, he can do anything. He can do anything. And, 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 you know, but then there, there's so many artists, I mean, Dylan is held as, as the greatest and, and, but I think Nick Cave is coming up on him. You know, I, I, I think Nick Cave is, is, is for me as a writer and a lyricist might even, might he be, be lapping Dylan now, you know? And, um, 
Oh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm like, why not? As you should. Yeah, I mean, just another one of my where I'm just like, holy shit, the the pearls of lyrics are just, how does he do? I mean, do you, do you, are there writers, do you like study the written word or whatever? (laughs) Not the written word, but the, I I, I study records, you know, I, I don't, I mean... I read. I mean, I, I'm an audiobook guy more than a, um, mostly just because my glasses are so scratched up and and shitty. I, I can barely, read, you know. And but I, but yeah, no music. Music has has been my. Um, I mean, art and design and drawing, and I love all that stuff. But but in terms of like literature, music has really been the literature I've 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 paid most attention to, you know. And so yes, and Nick Cave is probably. Uh, a writer I've read, you know, quote unquote, or listened to or paid attention to maybe more than any other. And and I, that's no, I'm sure that's no surprise to anybody. I just, I just, there are songs of his that you go back to and you're just like, you can't believe how they continue to unfold. And, um, you know, same thing with Dylan and same thing with, 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 with Tom Petty, you know, I've been listening to so much Tom Petty and I forgot how serious one should take Tom Petty's writing, you know, like Jesus. Um, sometimes, well, yeah, because right, because the catchier the song is, the easier it is to forget to... how 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 progressive and 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 dark and revealing and and you know that that's that's Tom Petty is like that, you know, and, and um, it's easy it's easy to think of like Nick Cave and Leonard Cohen and 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 such people as. Uh, as these dark brooding people or me because of like the, the tenor of the way they deliver a song or their, or the, their voice. But, um, you know, you take Tom Petty or, you know, who's, you know, or even Willie Nelson who, who are, who are, you know, they're, 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 they're tenors literally, you know, I think, I think I don't, Tom Petty is a tenor, but, and, and you don't think of how, 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 or Bruce Springsteen, you know, you don't, you know, people don't think of Bruce Springsteen as like a me- melancholic artist, but good God, if you listen to Nebraska, you know, it's like, or Nirvana, you know, I mean, obviously we, we think of Nirvana as a dark, you know, thing, but, um, but what it smells like teen spirit just sounded like a party of pain, you know, like the best time, same, same thing with license to ill, you know, and, and, and usually those kind of things, you know, really help people feel better. And, and, and I'm sure they did for Kurt Cobain and every, in 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 even though maybe didn't escape at all, all the sorrow, but, uh, all that stuff, yeah. If, if writers, if those are the writers that um, that I read, you know, and, and it's not like I just sit there and read their lyrics. I it never works. I hate lyrics that are. I hate reading lyrics. I I don't even like putting the lyrics that much in books, even though we I do it and put them in the albums because it's it's. I know why it's useful, but it's like le- song lyrics on on paper are are like fish on a beach, you know, and um and so when I write. When I'm writing, if, if, there, if, there isn't, if there isn't music on, or I'm not don't have a rhythm in my head, or a pattern, and a tone, or a melody, I can't really write, right? You know, I don't sit there and just write. And like, like writing an email for me is like, ugh. <laughs> Anything, you know. But once you're, but once you're in the mode where you're listening to some music with the idea that you're going to see if this inspires anything from you, does it does it happen pretty quick? Like, if it's going to happen, does it happen pretty quickly? I am um, here's an example. I um I was listening to uh Lou Reed's uh Sword of Damocles off of Magic and Loss and um and I hadn't heard that for a long time. I got a cassette and I, and I was like, Oh, there's a Lou, there's Magic and Loss on, on cassette because I got a tape deck and so I started playing it 
And uh, that song comes along. And, uh, and I was like, oh, shit. I really, I, I was like, I wanted to listen to that again. And then I, with a cassette, you had to get to zoom back and find the spot, right? And it was really funny. I was like, I was like I'll just put it on Spotify. And I was like, no, do it like you did it in the, in the 80s. You have to rewind the cassette to that spot to, to start over this one song, you know? And that was kind of fun to do, like lifting up the needle and trying to set it back at the beginning of the song over and over again um, makes you makes you pay closer, even closer attention. And then it makes you study the song. And so, uh, and then I put it on Spotify and had it on repeat. And then I, I think I wrote not the same vocal pattern he was doing, but just there's, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a, a strumming pattern that's just got a, got a, got a, a, um, you know, whatever it is, the riff this, that just over and over again and, and the, the time signature of it is just like infectious. And so I wrote probably 10 songs in a, in three or four days of different melodies and different things and um, all just to to that one, just that pattern I had in my head. And I was writing while I was on my bike. I was waking up in the morning and I was, I was you know, cont- writing these songs and they're all, they were all sort of Damocles, you know, children of, of, of Damocles, the sort of Damocles, you know, and, and, but all different sort of patterns, you know, in, 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 in like, you know, some with lots of words, some with like spaced out and t- all different melodies. So a, a, a bit of music is sort of like a jungle gym and, and you can do any kind of swinging around on it you want. It's just an armature and you, you can drape it with any color fabric of a melody that you want to. And, um, you know, um, I mean, it's literally, it's like when you get a song stuck in your head. I mean, like every, you know, it, it, it's, you get a pattern stuck in your head. It's like a Dr. Seuss thing, right? It's, it's in Serpentine Prison. The last song on the record is, is, is really, really, I was reading a lot of Dr. Seuss. In fact, I was talking, it's, it's actually this Robert Lopshire book um, named, called Put Me in a Zoo, but Dr. Seuss edited it. And he, he was a big, he was a, I guess Robert Lopshire was a, was a protege of Dr. Seuss. But it's just the like children's book has these great rhythms and rhymes and patterns and and the rhymes um, uh, the rhymes are a device to t- sort of trick you to pay attention and and so like the cat in the hat is super super progressive you know and and, and so is so is this this Robert Lobsher put me in a zoo is really these are really progressive um, ideas you know sort of cloaked inside these clever fun sweet little rhymes and these kids and dogs and cats and stuff and fish you know if you if you if you look at if you read cat in the hat you know and the fish you know is like all these warnings and the parents are out of town and it's a it's in this 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 strange wild thing shows up and it's all the you know all the um progressive ideas that that children that children are are, are grappling with and, and kind of processing when through those sweet books where, you know, all, all really, um, that's what, that's what Dr. Seuss intended, right? Um, things that would help children understand their own anxieties. And, um, so a good song gets stuck in your head. Um, like Serpentine Prison. I remember like I had a, I had a pattern in my head, um, for that song and I just kept writing and writing to it. Same thing with Not in Kansas, you know, from, on the on the nationals i'm easy to find you know I, that one i wrote i wrote 30 30 different stanzas of that thing you know we, you know it's only half as long as it originally was but you get that pattern in your head and then you can kind of write about the, the, the all the most you know weirdest darkest strangest things and you put it in a cute little rhyming pattern and it and it you know 
like Serpentine Prison, I was writing, I knew my daughter was going to hear the song. And so I wrote about my daughter and like, you know, and all the things that I, uh, my anxieties for her, you know, my own anxieties and my anxieties for her, you know, and the things that she learns from me. And, um, and I couched it all inside a Dr. Seuss thing, but it wasn't like, it wasn't a big plan. It wasn't like, okay, what I'm going to do is write a Dr. Seuss type of song for my daughter. It was just what, you just start doing that. You just start, you just read a bunch of Dr. Seuss and next thing you know, you're writing a Dr. Seuss song. <laughs> right? Does she like it? She That's her favorite song on the record by far. Yeah. She loves, she she knows all the words. It's so funny to hear her sing about Girl Scout cookies and, and drool. Because <laughs> <laughs> she, she's not, she, she doesn't realize I'm not talking about cookies yet. I've, Freaking love Girl Scout cookies. Yeah, no, I, I do too. Both all- that one and Blue Dream. <laughs> Top faves over here. That's so funny. Yeah, <laughs> I, I keep. I hope I keep, whenever the Girl Scout c- cookies uh, g- girls come to the door, I'm like, "Do you guys have sour diesel?" And they're like, "Excuse me." <laughs> Get me some OG Kush, gals. <laughs> yeah, so it's funny. but the, the other the, the really funny thing about it is that all the uh, parents. At um, my daughter's school, I'm actually really happy that I'm <laughs> that that there's no in session school right now. Well, when this record's coming out, because because there's so many there's so many questionable parenting behaviors that are revealed <laughs> in this thing <laughs> that I just like all the parents at my daughter's school are like, <laughs> I just don't want to look anybody in the eye for a few months, you know. Well, Matt, thank you so much for uh, for connecting to talk with me. Yeah. Always a pleasure. Likewise. Honestly, that was one of my favorite conversations I've had on the LSQ podcast to date, so massive, massive thanks again to Matt Berninger, whose beautiful new Serpentine Prison is out now. And episode 53, in a couple more weeks, includes a conversation with Charlatan's Tim Burgess. You should check out his Twitter listening party if that's not something you've experienced yet. And, um, yeah, subscribe as well. Reach me with feedback and questions on Twitter, at JennyLSQ. Thanks again for listening. I'll talk to you next time.